my relationship with JP is an example of what happens when someone becomes too attached to labels as a way to see the world. That someone would be me. JP and I first met in a signal processing class where I knew he was a second year neuroscience student. The immediate gulf of expertise I assumed between him and me led me to put him on a pedestal. But for whatever reason, when I found out he was, in fact, a couple of years younger than me, I grappled with the instinct to talk down to him. Yet, after working, talking, and yes, running together for a couple months, I grew to realize that JP is something much more simple to me. He's my friend. Here, JP lets loose about why his research impacts everyone doing biology today, how closely mentor and student should work together, and how we can't all be Einstein. I hope you like this. This is Science and Feelings. My name is JP. I'm a uh, PhD candidate in uh, the psychology program here under the uh, neuroscience umbrella. Uh, so I'm in what is known as integrative neuroscience, and we're essentially uh, the people who do uh, the intersection between how the brain works and behavior. Um, mm. And specifically, I study animals and this weird thing called uh, biological timing. <laughs> really interested in this concept of how our bodies, our brains, and our behaviors are all kind of timed together with our environment to make this cohesive unit. When you when you explain it like that to you know someone at you know all of the cocktail parties you attend. Oh yeah, so many which cocktail is just, parties. You know, right, yeah, you're drowning in them. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's rum and cokes here. Yeah, you ginger know. sours there. It's just, black tie here, yeah. white tie here. Yeah, you know, it's the whole alcoholism thing. all around. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, what do they ever like follow up with? Like, with questions after that, or do, are they like, oh, okay? Well, usually, so people have usually heard of. So usually, I use the buzzword circadian rhythms, which are uh, one of the things I study. Um, right. Actually, not all of the things I study, but people hear the word circadian and they immediately think of sleep. Uh, and then right. I'm interpreting people. Then people are asking me to interpret their dreams. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's circadian is a gateway drug to Sufsain is really uh, the message I'm trying to confuse here like, today. It's like zero to a hundred real quick. Like oh, you're yeah. trying to be measured and be like, okay, like how can I relate right. what I'm doing to like what people know? And then their media, like I think about teeth falling out of my fa- my face and it's like, Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. That's that's pretty much it. I mean, like, not always. Usually, it usually gets to sleep. Usually, people are fascinated by sleep. Uh, and oh, yeah. so usually, like, you know, some people you get to the dream level. Some people are like, is that why, like, I sleep bad? The most mm-hmm. recent mm-hmm. my most recent example, I was in an Uber, uh, and the guy asked me what I did, and I explained, and kind of gave him a similar response, and his was like, Oh, so like when I drive for a really long time, like I, uh, I f- feel like tired afterwards. Is that related? And <laughs> like, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I mean, you're just working late. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, that's funny. What is there? Is there anything 
about your research that you wish like general people knew or like were more aware of in terms of like the rhythm world? I honestly just wish everyone, including science, actually, especially scientists, like just realized how much is timed, right? Like most of our mm. genome is expressed in a time manner. Diseases uh, are have time bases. It's like yeah. one of the things our lab studies, not necessarily me, it's kind of outside of my purview of interest, but like one of the things our lab studies is this idea of like the immune system works differently at different times of day. So like oh. there's an ideal time to take a medication and there's an ideal time to have surgery based on your, you know, environment oh. and like your internal clock. And so like, and conversely, there's a non-ideal time for these things to happen. Right, right. Right. Um, and I think it's going to get better because of there's this whole time restricted feeding fad that's like essentially coming out of the circadian world and some pretty solid research. Oh, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, so there's this idea of like you're only you should only during the day you should only eat during like a 10-hour window. But that's all coming out of this guy named Sashin Panda uh, at uh hmm. Um, UCSD um, in California mm -hmm. work but yeah there's it's really like some of his papers there's just like pictures that are really dramatically cool like they had these mice on the same like high fat diet and the one mouse was just fed ad limnum and one mouse was fed like 10 hours ate the same amount of food right mm -hmm. and yet the one mouse is like healthy skinny yeah yeah the other mouse is fat as fuck oh wow uh, so so like that's an example of research that's like still like very visually distinct like the results are very obvious right and yeah. so i think the that kind of thing is gonna help promote awareness but like i think for me it's frustrating especially especially kind of being in the psych you know the psychology program mm -hmm. you know i think to some degree people kind of like write it off so you like you talk to you know the more traditional neuroscientists right uh, is, you know, I think the very quintessential neuroscientist is the person, you know, sitting at a patch clamping rig doing electrophysiology. Right. So are you saying that you, you encounter resistance when talking to researchers about this type of effect? Yeah. yeah it's just, I think it's just not like, I mean, like, and before I like got into the field, right. I like just wasn't, I also wasn't aware of how like big this is, but it's like yeah. time is like a huge thing you have to be worried about if you know even if you're not like doing the morning evening if, but you know your experiments just happen to take out that like you know you're getting you're coming in on saturdays to your electrophys and on those days you're just having a better go of it and so hmm. you know the experimental condition versus the control condition is harder and you're doing having a better go of it but you're having yeah. a better go of it like when you come in at noon on Saturday versus like starting at 8 a.m., right? That's that's uh, where it yeah. starts to creep in, right? It's not like, and it's, so the problem is like, you know, people aren't aware of this or like they just don't really think about it. And it's kind of an inconvenient thing to have to worry about, right? <laughs> it would be great if you could do your experiment at any point of the day and it would the same, right? Or fine, yeah. So like, you know, yeah, it just, I think people just don't really, like, they kind of view it as a separate, like, it's a its own little box, but mm -hmm. it's not its own little box. It's this very, you know, it's the, one of the things I love about the work I do is that, like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm working on a collaboration right now on, like, memory gating, but at the same time, like, I am then, you know, 
you know, we ha- also have, I'm involved in metabolism experiments. And then, yeah. you know, I'm involved in very basic, you know, if we knock out this gene and like give these animals weird light stimuli, what happens? Or like if mm-hmm. we lesion this brain area, does it get rid of, uh, you know, this one type of biological rhythm? So there's, you know, it's very widespread, you know, there's ecological concerns, uh, kind of, you know, I'm talking, I've talked a lot about circadian, but like another issue is like seasonal things, right? Yeah. So there's, there's seasonal clock. So, and this is where it gets really insidious, right? You do, you do a set of experiments in the spring. Um, oh. You think you're like, okay, great. I got some great results. You put it out to your reviewers. Your reviewers are like, and I feel like you need to do this additional experiment. Right. You do that additional experiment late fall. That's totally different season and i'm just ranting at this point yeah like, well so let me let me cut you off and just yeah. say so it, it it you're you're in a really cool place with your research where because you're studying such a universal mechanism that like applies to so many different types of research and it yeah. seems to be an area of research that's so that's relatively under researched that you can go to people and be like you know hey do you want to collaborate there's this really interesting twist to your research yeah like i can help you study and so that you just mentioned like three or four projects that are all ongoing in your like science career right now yeah which is like really exciting um how does that filter how do all of those like concurrent projects filter into like your day-to-day like so like on any given day what are you doing I mean, it really depends, right? Like, so right now I'm kind of in a, you know, we're in prep mode. So I'm doing a lot of like, I'm just co- like, I'm more consistent than normal. Like I'm just, mm-hmm. a lot of days I'm spending like, you know, looking through papers and writing code and thinking about how to analyze. In prep mode, meaning like preparing for new experiments. experiments. Yeah. Okay. So like all these things are kind of like, you know, we're about to get started, you know, or we're breeding up animals. So like. Mm-hmm. Right now, my day to day is kind of like going down, and making sure the colony is all right. You know, we need colony them. as in the mice colony. Yeah, the mouse colony. Sorry, yeah. I'll be uh, more concrete. So the mouse colony is all right. Genotyping the mouse colony because we have a couple different uh, genetic strains in there that I have to keep separated. Mm-hmm. You know, keeping track of the numbers, getting ready. You know, you know, doing a lot of administrative stuff, cleaning, mentoring undergrads, and then also just like spending a lot of time like working on some analysis stuff and writing but wow you know when we're up and going when these experiments are happening like i'll probably you know some days i'll be in the wet lab doing stuff you know we tend to have kind of these very burst patterns of like okay now it's time to collect you know Mm -hmm. uh next tuesday i'm going to be helping out one of my co-workers and i'll get in at 8 a.m and spend every like five hours like weighing food and mice and collecting stool samples from them uh so so not not particularly glamorous stuff (laughs) oh no it's and it's yeah it's interesting because like you know we're studying these big sweeping things but a lot of it's like you know kind of lining up the pins so that they can be knocked down you know yeah there's yeah there's there's you're preparing so much and you're putting so much effort and you're kind of front-loading so much of the effort so that things go smoothly when they're well, it seems like, especially in your case, when they're time sensitive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't be like, oh, let's do this in the afternoon or let's do this tomorrow. Right, that, exactly. That, that affects things a lot. No, yeah, Especially you when to... you're studying 
time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess zooming out to kind of in a given scientific cycle, like preparing, collecting, analyzing, writing, publishing, communicating, what part of like the scientific process do you enjoy the most? I think both the, I think the planning stage where you like, the planning stage and like the wrapping up stages are probably the most fun for me, especially the planning. Cause like, okay. you know, you're like, you have this problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like this question you want to answer. Mm-hmm. And then you have to figure out how you're going to answer it. And not only like that, but like, what are the components that are going to go into ma- writing a story essentially that are going to convince people that, mm. you know, your answer is worthwhile and as something people is worth more research. Not only, not only convincing that like people that, Oh, this is a, this is a cool thing that we did or we're going to do, but that you should believe our results because we accounted for them and we designed the experiment in such a way. And you know, and then there's like the additional component of like, can't, you know, designing something that, you know, will allow you to keep answering questions. So my boss and me are very big fan of this thing called the Platian method. Um, okay, explain. I have, I, I've never heard of this before. So there's was this physicist here actually at UChicago. Oh. Uh, I forget what his first name was. It's something generic like John. And then his last <laughs> name was Platt. Um, with a D or a T? With a T. So P-L-A-T-T. Platt. Oh. Platian. Okay. Uh, now it's ringing some bells. So he published this paper, I think in the 70s, somewhere around then, um, about how some fields are like moving forward a lot faster than others. And he was like, why? You know, in science. Yeah, in science. Oh. Some fields are just like getting a lot more done. Yeah. And the, why, you know, his question was, why is this? And so mm-hmm. the answer he came up with is this, was what we call the Platt method. It's this idea of what's called strong inference. Um, and mm. so like, you know, a lot of times, especially in neuroscience, we do essentially what we call fishing expeditions, right? Like, you know, we do we do experiments that are pretty open-ended. We're looking for something, but, like, it could go so many different ways. So we're faced with this whole, this huge dilemma, especially in the brain, where we, like, know so little, right? Like, you know, we're, like, we've essentially, like, to keep using weird analogies, like, we've essentially dropped into this, like, completely black labyrinth and we have we have some torches like with us but Mm -hmm. you know we're all starting this small circle of light and then we gotta all have to kind of branch out and slowly uncover the cavern to kind of not go down this divergence too much get back to this plotting yeah so what's the plot yeah 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 Yeah, is you know so strong inference is this idea that you don't do an experiment unless it will answer it will eliminate at least one of your hypotheses like how can you know that your experiment will actually knock off one of those possibilities uh so i mean part of that's having very specific hypotheses right okay so like you know if if you have too broad of a hypothesis you're there's no way you can prove or disprove it right like within Mm -hmm. a few sets of experiments right like you can only ever like take a step towards or away from it. it it seems like a simultaneously like concrete specific way to move through doing science it seems in an incremental world, that seems even more incremental. That science could be even slower than it is now if everyone took up the Platt method. 
that if all they did was ask very specific, tiny little hypotheses, then how do you, how, do, how does anybody make those big discoveries? So, I mean, I think you make big discoveries through a bunch of tiny little experiments is really what it comes down to, right? Okay. And so that's that's part of the design, right? Like, so you make a good point, right? If, if we only, you know, to continue with our crazy analogy, if we yeah. if we only tested the bird, like, shadowing part of the thing, like, yeah, that would be slow, it would be inefficient. So what we want to do, right, like, or what, what I want to do when I'm designing an experiment is I want to be able to, you know, be using this strong inference method to make sure that every single component of the experiment I do is, you know, going to eliminate a hypothesis. So no, mm. none of the work I do is in vain. But I also want to design experiments that are going to test multiple things at once. Right? It, it, it sounds like applying a formal method to just having a lot of forethought and planning a lot and right. uh, being efficient with resources. Like, that's that that that's what i'm getting from it yeah, right no 100% and that's and and i think that's great because you ha- you know for i think neuroscience specifically is rife with labs and researchers that are like we're going to put a thousand electrodes in a brain of a mouse and just like see what happens right right like there's plenty of labs that are like we're going to like just throw this technology into an animal model and like make them do this task and just like discover some stuff. Right. Um, and it seems like what you're saying and what Platt said is that that can, that can be very inefficient. Right. Um, that can be effectively like stumbling around in that dark maze. Right. you you, sometimes you have a eureka moment and you jump the field forward for sure. Yeah. But it, but you're, you're, you're stabbing around in the dark. Yeah, right. Like exactly. you, and, and it seems like what your lab is set up to do is, make consistent incremental progress towards truth. Yeah. Exactly. And I see that as particularly beneficial for people like us, PhD students who need to learn how to become very good scientists. Right. And need to get results mm-hmm. that we can publish. Right, exactly. <laughs> that that uh because this is a very special and unique part of our scientific careers that will make or break the rest of it. I had, okay, so I told, so actually I, I'm realizing now that I actually don't know much about kind of like how you got here. Yeah. I know that you once told me that you got into science because you loved asking questions. Yeah. And I think that's all I know. So like, Explain that and then also explain, like, your path here as well. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't know. I I think I'll, like, probably some of the other people you've interviewed, like, I wasn't, I wasn't actually, like, a huge science person, like, in high school or, like, mm. uh, ever really until, you know, like, <laughs> I, I did well. You know, I was a, you know, I yeah. think all of us were decent, were probably pretty good high school students. You know, I'm yeah. sure there's, you know, there's going to be someone, there's people that are anonymous <laughs> to that, like, that slacked off, managed to, like, get their stuff to get shit together in college. But, like, right, right. you know, most of us, you know, like, I was, I've always been really good at biology. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, and, like, you know, I got, like, top marks in that and, like, had, like, the highest score of that in, like, my 
high school's history, but like, oh my god, uh, and that's not, and I say that like and not as, but like the problem is it was such a divorced thing. It was like it was just that one thing. That was Mm. the only thing I really liked was like I liked biology. So you wanted to do more of that. Yeah, okay. and then I like I like chemistry was fine. I liked the teacher, but a lot of times, in, like my chemistry class was such that like because we didn't have like an AP chemistry class, that I would sit in class and I'd read a novel, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I get an A. In, I still could get an A in the class without having oh. to pay attention. And like math wasn't necessarily like that, but it was like you know I could get by enough, right? And I you know. I kind of went off to college with like it's like I like writing, I like history, kind of like biology. Yeah. Uh, and then my parents were like, "So those other things are hobbies," <laughs> <laughs> which is which is not a great oh, I think perspective. No. It's very elitist. Uh, yeah. You know that's why I think both my parents are physicians. My older sister has a PhD in chemistry. It's um, a, so you felt a lot of pressure to yeah continue on into science, and so yeah. I you know. I kind of went down that route. And, like, I, you know, I came into college thinking maybe I'd be a veterinarian. Uh, okay. I've always loved animals. Uh, that quickly kind of went away when I worked in a vet clinic and was like, oh, this is really boring. But I kind of got involved in research because that's what you did if you were, like, pre-med or pre-vet. Right? Oh, sure. So very disingenuous. Um, but then, <laughs> and then honestly, like, it wasn't necessarily the research that hooked me. It was the, like, I had a Greek graduate student that, I, like, I was good friends with. Mm-hmm. who's was a mentor to me. And, like, I feel like, you know, I just, I liked asking questions. And, like, his whole his whole shtick was, like, there's always going to be someone smarter than you or better than you, a technique. So mm-hmm. the best way to do science is just to make friends with a lot of people. Being Becoming very good at the thing that you're naturally good at is great. And then becoming friends enough with people that you can kind of pick up enough of their skills and, you know, for lack of a better word, mooch off of them and like kind of find your way together, I think is... Collaborate. Yeah, collaborate <laughs> uh, is like the way to go. Yeah. Um, but it's hard too because like, or at least for me, it's hard to like like be the one struggling through, you know, and then you're like trying to do this math and like your friend is like, Oh yeah, I just got an A on that test, and you're like, yeah, I just got a B. Right. Yeah. And it was the B was a, a B was a Herculean effort. Right. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Uh, and so. Yeah. Kind of getting back to the story, though. Uh, you know, so I was in a lab. It was actually, it was kind of my first experience with p hacking because the uh, professor was not. You know, he was. Not I don't completely think, on the level. Yeah, he he like almost run out of funding once before. Oh man! And almost had to close down the lab, and suddenly got all these results. And then like, you know, we kept finding stuff that was in contradiction to his previous results, so he didn't want to publish that. I didn't necessarily see a lot of that firsthand. A lot of that was like being filtered to me from like this grad student friend who was like sure. who was disenchanted and did eventually leave the lab. So like how 100% true that is, is hard to say. But they did, mm-hmm. you know, they did later on publish this, were part of this group that published this nature paper. You probably saw something about it. It was the, it was the, they designed this custom receptor that was a re- magnet receptor. So you could use a magnet and open and close it was what they were reporting to claim. And so they did all the electrophys for that paper. Oh. Um, the okay. problem with that paper is it came out in nature, made a huge splash, and then a physicist 
immediately published a response <laughs> that dictated why it was like it would break the laws of physics for what they are saying to be true. Oh no! So like, oh god, that's always been like that's always been like I feel like my grad student was telling me the truth. All right, yeah, but like <laughs> you know, not to disparage anybody. So, no, of course not. No, yeah. So like the you know I was we were supposed to apply for this project and like. I didn't get a lot of guidance and like, so you just like come up with a project. And so I came up with this idea and I talked, kept talking to him about it. He was like, Oh no, that sounds good. Yeah. And then it came like down, like I sent him something and he came and then he was like, Oh, like I want you to do like, I don't want you to do this. And like in retrospect mm. at the time that was devastating to me. So, and was, like, there's a, there's a point and I think, I don't know, I'm still in this point where scientists have to learn how to divorce their ideas from their identity yeah a, a bit in order to just like fail a ton and not be completely disintegrated by that yeah. or like have their ideas shot down and not feel terrible right? yeah um sounds like that was not a great environment yeah so it to just, learn those it lessons up, at all yeah, it just ended up not being a good place so i ended up i switched labs good. um and i started working on songbirds yeah which was, uh more my speed yeah um and you know then i rode the nepotism train right on to grad school through that hell uh, yeah I feel like science has always kind of been a convenient thing. Uh, I, you know, I did, wrote a history thesis as an undergrad in college. Oh, um, okay. And my actually my science thesis failed uh, because our birds all died. Oh, no. So I couldn't write anything up because like we couldn't collect the data. Oh, that's but, like, terrible. You know, but I, you made it work, right? Like, I mean, as in like. Yeah, it was fine. You, it's fine. You like, graduated and you got into a neuroscience program <laughs> yeah nepotism man i think so one thing I, at least from my perspective and you know this could be utter bullshit is that like it does like if you're gonna be a good scientist mm -hmm. the thing that has to matter is this love of questions and so i think that's like at the end of the day why like i chose to go into research and like stuck with researchers i liked answering questions yeah. and it shouldn't like if you if you truly are going to be good at science you love answering questions and you know like it's <laughs> not it's not you know you're going to find like regardless of the subject matter right regardless of what you're researching if you have the appropriate training you know granted like within the bounds of like you know you have the appropriate training like yeah yeah but like you know both of us i think within neuroscience could find you know even if on the first like sniff test we pick, ah, I don't think I'm interested in that. You'd find some, you'd find an interesting and like important project to do. Yeah. In that lab, and yes. so the thing that's more important is to me, it seems like is like that connection with your advisor, and if the person is going to give you good training and good resources and access. Yes. And so yes, my boss yes. is amazing. Uh, he's a little bit crazy, but like in a in a good way. Uh, but like you know, in like the way that like he'll go on a 30 minute tangent talking about like maybe building a chicken coop in the back, his backyard. <laughs> but like, you know, at the yeah. end of the day, we got a lot of research done and we work really well together. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, he's, you know, he's pushes me to like take more time off and kind of things. You That's know, like, great. You know, it's a good, you know, his, his, you know, he sees this world outside of like this need to have a balanced life outside of science. It's not yeah. like, you know, and I feel like he genuinely cares about his students. We're all like pretty friendly with him. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of jokes that happen in the lab, and it's a it's a good environment to do science in. Looking back, 
like now that you have all this hindsight, like are there things that you would advise people to like think about or consider or look into when choosing a mentor? So I think the thing you have, the like big first big question you have to figure out and like, you know, you should be able to figure this out as an undergrad, right? Like I don't think mm-hmm. very many undergrads can get into a PhD program or, you know, without teching, you know, most people have to end up having to tech. So as a tech or an undergrad, right? Like mm-hmm. during that time period, you should get a sense of like, do you like having a PI that breathes down your neck? Mm-hmm. Do you like a PI that's like not there and you just kind of do your own thing? Mm-hmm. Or do you like something in the middle? Mm-hmm. And like that, I think that's one of the biggest components, right? Like like how hands-on yeah, like, your PI is. Yeah, I think I think that you know, some people just need a hands-on PI. And some people yeah. just need independence. And that's like, yeah. you got to figure that, figure that out. I think the other thing is just like, can you have a conversation with this person outside of like the science? I think that's it's so crucial because like like one of the things I love about my advisor and I really hope is true for us is that like he still talks to his old advisor on the phone like every day like he'll Whoa. they call each other like his old advisor Irv Zucker sends like sends him poems or like papers to read right okay and it's it's amazing like and like and I have kind of access to this tree now too like. So, like, and I interact with, like, Irv as well. Like, mm-hmm. I was, you know, Brian sent me out to Berkeley over the winter to, like, learn this technique from one of our collaborating labs there. And then yeah. I, like, got lunch with him. You know, he's a collaborator on a couple of our projects. So, I, you know, I talk to him over the phone occasionally. And it's mm-hmm. it's a nice, like, it's a nice thing. And it's, like, this kind of, like, yes, like, we're all going to eventually have to go out on our own. But, like building these kind of like familial relationships of science, like I think helps us all kind of move together. Right. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I would push back on that a little bit and say that the, the amount of personal contact and kind of that type of relationship, I think depends on the student because I think there are labs that are run in a more businesslike way that uh, students prefer that that right i i i know i i don't know if i would feel comfortable like having like calling my old mentor like every day if, if i have my own lab like i don't know yeah. if i, I mean like i don't think that. i don't think i want to be at that level yeah but like well it, it shows that your mentor is like a good person and like has like a good conversationalist and is like kind Right. I think, so I, but yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the key point, right? Like, and for me, like that, you know, I think generally having someone who you can, you could have a conversation with and it's like, like, seems like a human and not like, you know, a robot. Oh, disguise yeah. Is, is like, is so important because there's yeah. just, there's shit comes up. You like, things happen, like, mm-hmm. at this, especially this time of life. Like, your parents are getting older, getting sicker. If you have grandparents, they're probably on their way out. Mm hmm unfortunately like just like and like you know most people i think even if they take some time off the tech are like early 20s when they start grad school yeah you know that's it's like a it's a confusing time you know some people come in some people have long term like some others other people are like really exploring dating and like you know like there's a lot of just like there's a lot of turmoil and and being a grad student is like 
a, a, a more complex and varied and emotionally like intense job than other jobs that people have at this point in, in their life. It this seems so like theme. maybe there's maybe there's the way to think about it. Like your your PI is part of your support network, right? But your PI is not your entire support network. Exactly, <laughs> right? And, and they're it, not a parent; they're your PI. Yeah, yeah. And and there are some things your PI can give you that your parents can't, and right. vice versa. And and they are part of a broader network of people you rely on for emotional and like personal and like professional support, right? Right. Like your friends, your therapist, like whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it's a weird, it's a weird bond in some ways, right? Like it's unique. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there is, there ha I think like the best, best things have a personal relationship, right? Like, mm. you know, but they're not there. There's boundaries in terms of those personal things. So like there's this kind of level of like, they have to be act as a little bit of a safe net when they first have you. Right. And you mm -hmm. slowly, they kind of slowly pull back. And so you can like grow enough strength to like, Hey, like this shit happened, yeah. but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quickly go to you with this just yet. And I, I think that's been part of my growing process. Honestly, like there was, mm. there was shit that came up and like, I, that like, you know, I immediately would ask Brian about like, I don't know how to solve this. Yeah. And like then, you know, and like he would help me, but it was kind mm. of you know he like also made it like hey like you know what about like what if you had done this kind of, and then so I mm. you know and now I feel like I'm at a point where like, like and I think this is I think this is a good a good rule of thumb is I go to him with a problem and a solution. Ah, like I think this is the right way to do it. You know. Yeah. Should I? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm getting so and I think that's I think that's where you want to eventually get right like yeah. Like they're there to have guidance and kind of act as an advisor. Oh. <laughs> uh, they're you know, but because there's you know because we live in this pyramid scheme that is science, um, <laughs> we are you know you're bound to like your your PI's connections are what like opens up doors for you. Mm -hmm. So having someone you know finding a PI that is friends with you know, it's friendly is not like a hermit. Like that's going to open, like it's, that's going to open so many doors because they're going to have friends yeah. and their friends are them when that you like, they see that you're a student out of their lab. That's going to help you get a job. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. the rep, you know, the reputation of a PI shouldn't be the only thing you consider. Right. But it is an important variable that you should wait in like the weighted matrix of your school lab decision effectively right yeah and there's like different strategies right like if you start like if you're one of the initial grad students with a professor they have less connections but at the same time you know you're going to do a lot of foundational work in that lab that's then going to get cited so many times and that can be helpful too yeah later on the line so like it's not like it's a complex decision yeah it's, 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 it's there's it's not it's a one path and you know and you, sh you shouldn't like if there's a lab you feel like you connect with you shouldn't be like but this other professor has so many connections. But like, you know, if you if you're like, mm -hmm. I really want to do this th specific thing this lab is researching. Sure, people are telling me that this professor like, you know, is actually a five headed dragon. <laughs> and sure, maybe I thought I saw the shadows of four heads in that interview. <laughs> you know, 
yeah. but I, you know, I'm just going to go with it. That's like a terrible call, I think. Yeah. It like most yeah. of the time doesn't work out. Right. So as we kind of wind down on this episode, yeah, are there, are there kind of any, is there like one kind of big platitude or lesson that you that you kind of picked up through your science career that you want to leave people with. Yeah, I mean, like, you're probably not gonna be Einstein, and that's okay. Uh, so, like, mm-hmm. be just be friends with people, right? Like, be decent, collaborate, help. Like, just keep helping people, and like, it's gonna, you know, that scientific karma is gonna cash in. For sure. Yeah, there's so many f- weirdos in science. And, like, <laughs> just you're probably weird, too, in your yeah, own way. And you just, haven't realized it yet. And just celebrate it. And, right, like, you know, you're going to find, you know, you're going to find the people that, like, that are going to help you out and then, like, that are going to then be, like, kind of your support system, both, like, emotionally, like, that's important, right? But, like, yeah. you also kind of need, like, a, like, technique support system, like, Oh my God, I don't, I don't understand what I'm doing here. Like someone help me. And then like, mm-hmm. you know, you have that friend who like just codes all day and that's their thing and you <laughs> help them. And then later on the line, they have to do a molecular bio experiment. You're like, I gotcha, brah. I gotcha. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think that is the way science needs to, it like gets done. And like good science gets done. It's yeah. like just everyone helping and just like remembering we're all just kind of like, in the like in the dark together right like mm. trying to light the path mm. i really like that that's i think that's a really good good image yeah uh jp thank you for being on science and feelings yeah well thank you for having me <laughs>